new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you guys listening in, tuning into the podcast. And uh, again, we appreciate being here ourselves. We love doing this and we love talking to interesting people. Joshua Black, how are you today? I'm good. Sean Ram. <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. I love, even though we're in the, the pandemic and there's a lot of uncertainty and distress going on around us and within us, there's something I love about the routine of being able to still podcast. And this has given me uh, a bright light. And so I'm really happy that we get to do this and get to push these episodes out still. And I'm so, ha- so happy to sort of talk to our next guest. Yes, absolutely. On today's podcast, we have Lisa Bonneville. And feeling like her life is already mapped out for her, Lisa has had a series of events happen to lead her to a life that she never would have chosen, but now has a very deep love for. She has been volunteering and working in palliative care for about seven years, and her current work life includes a hospice, a funeral home, and caring for palliative Catholic nuns. She currently holds certificates in thanatology and as a death doula, and as a PSW, a personal support worker. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, it's happy to be here. Very excited. Lisa, it's been a, it's been a while since we first met way back when. And that was like, what, like four or five years ago. I remember doing a talk. Yeah. Yeah, the hospice was Wellington. Oh, was it Wellington? I couldn't remember the hospice. So you came yeah. and it was, it was so, it, I was so excited because you knew who I was before I, I even like, <laughs> said who I was. And I felt, you know, kind of famous. It was like one of the first times where I'm like, oh, you know, you know what I do? I like, so like, yeah. I realized word was getting around, but you're, you really like, it made that talk so much fun because I knew, oh, there's someone in the audience that actually cares about this stuff before I have to sort of raise that awareness before you care. It's like you cared ahead of time you came. So I kind of really liked that. I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and I'm I'm in the Burlington area, and you're Niagara. So yeah, you you had traveled quite a while. I had heard from you, heard about you from a few people, and yeah, looked at your website and started listening to your podcast. So I'm kind of like your original fan, really. You are. That's right. One of the originals. I like it. We gotta get, we gotta get you a T-shirt or something. <laughs> it says yeah. the original. <laughs> yeah, I want your real face on it though, not the cartoon one. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> 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 so Lisa, yeah. tell me about what's going on with you these days. So we're in the pandemic. How are you dealing with all that that's going on so far? Uh, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, I went from having three jobs to currently I can only work at one because of cross-contamination. So the funeral home, of course, I mean, they're now down to 10 you can only have 10 people for a visitation or for a funeral and obviously not ideal and um so there's really just the funeral directors that work at the funeral home are doing all that they don't need all of this extra people so that one's out and then um the where i work at with the catholic nuns because they are you know kind of a long-term facility and the hospice, I can only work at one place, so I don't cross-contaminate with, you know, bringing um, maybe the virus from one place to another. So it's kind of keeping, so I basically go from home to the hospice and back and then out grocery shopping once in a while. So it's a bit of a challenge. And then you have, you know, homeschooling on top of it with your kids. And boy, do you realize how much you don't know and you need to teach them. So 
<laughs> so it's quite interesting and just yeah hearing what other people are going through and you know it's, it's hard not to see you know my my parents and you know lots of people that you just you've don't realize how much you see every day and you need that interaction and now it's gone so it's 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 tough for everybody absolutely not to mention the financial worries about it all so yeah it's interesting yeah yeah absolutely and i find like i i'm also working and and uh dr black is also working and we feel like uh well me personally i feel there's a lot of mixed feelings around it and but at the same time when i actually go to work i feel like i have to be as it, 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 I have to be a certain mindset in order to just get through the day and be okay. Um, and you know, that's like kind of just focusing on the job, you know, try not to obviously think about things that are going on beyond the, the four walls that I'm in and, and just, you know, be that presence that I need to be at work in order to, you know, do a good job and continue and move forward. What, what are the things you do to kind of get yourself in that headspace where you want to be? Well, I'm I'm lucky with the the job that I do have at the hospice. I mean, I I love what I do, and I'm I really wholeheartedly believe in it, and and um, enjoy being with the dying and and that sort of thing. So it's yeah, you have you can you know you listen to the news and keep updates you know, on what's going on, you know, know what's happening and stuff. But you have to take breaks in there and you have to you know think of other things that make you happier like you know watch a comedy show or something or you know talk to like the nurse that I worked with today she and I were talking about gardening and watching stuff come up from our gardens and how exciting that is and you know my partner Adam's been gardening like crazy so he you know it's it's interesting because I mean but he's a funeral director so he and I talk a lot of shop at home so but we have a good balance I think of you know, keeping it, you know, heavy, but it's still, we still have fun too. So it's, it's tough. It's this hard balance, but you know, you can't not think of that dark cloud over your head, but you still, you know, you learn how to, I guess, figure out ways for yourself to keep your mind sane during this. Yeah. And one of the questions I have for you about your the kids is how <laughs> have you explained this all to them? we yeah it's tough to explain to them because you know they want to go out they want to you know we're lucky we have a backyard that has a trampoline which was a godsend when we moved in here the people that lived here before left it behind so that's that's been a saving grace but it's hard like we we constantly ask them if they have any questions and um you know kind of trying to explain to them why we can't see you know their grandparents that they see all the time or their friends and we've you know, kind of tried to explain how, you know, and they hear, they hear us listening to the news. So they kind of get it and they ask questions there too. But um, we've been trying to keep them connected too with their friends through like, thank goodness for, I never thought I'd say it, but social media where you can, they can FaceTime their friends and, you know, keep up to date on each other. And, you know, my daughter and her friend were doing their homework together through FaceTime the other day. And so thank goodness for that. But yeah, we just try and keep open communication and, you know, they ask questions here and there. So we haven't had like a sit down heavy talk with them. We just try to keep it open every day so that they know what's going on. And, you know, especially with how our hours change as people get sick and, you know, you take kind of pick up the slack. So they've actually been pretty, pretty resilient so far. 
but we'll see. Talk to me again in July. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. And so mm -hmm. what is your, what is your worst subject to teach them? <laughs> oh, math for Isn't sure. That? Like why, why are they changing math? What was wrong with the way it was done? Like carry the one was so simple, but now there's, New wait, they don't carry the one stuff. anymore? Hold <laughs> on. Oh, wait, what? No, I didn't get the memo. Yeah, there's no carry the one anymore, apparently. And like they, my kids like laugh at me when they see the way I do it. I'm like, what's wrong with that? So there's yeah, there's definitely challenges. But you know, my daughter's in grade seven and my son's four. So it's yeah, her math is a lot more complicated. At least his are just still multiplication and all that, but hers is like yeah, I leave that to her dad. He's the numbers guy. Thank goodness. So, yeah, I'll leave that to him. <laughs> That's funny. It reminds me of that show, like, do you think you're smarter than a fifth grader? Oh, you remember yeah. That show? Definitely yeah, not. Just like, right? And but you go back to realize some of the stuff you've learned, but like how much you it's faded over the years because you just don't uh, use it as much, right? No, you really don't. And it's funny because I remember in school when they, I mean, Adam says this all the time, you know, when your teacher used to say, you know, you have to memorize this because you won't have a calculator easily yeah. accessible, you know, yeah. and like, yeah, you do. It's on my phone. <laughs> but <laughs> That's so true. All right. So looking yeah. at your bio, you mentioned yes. it's really only been seven years since you've been in Pali. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what happened to get you there? You said you had a, a couple of events that occurred. Yeah, there's been quite a few. It's funny when I look back over my whole life, it's almost like and it's going to sound ridiculous to some people, but I, I do think that my life is kind of already mapped out for me. Like I almost, it's, it's just strange how things have happened, but close to my 40th birthday, like, unfortunately my marriage was, was ending and I was, you know, I've, I'd only done either retail or office work, that kind of thing. And I thought like, if I'm on my own, how am I going to support myself? So when he and I were kind of going through a big rough patch, I started looking at online courses to kind of brush up on some something to figure out what I was going to do for work. And I saw Thanatology through Sheridan, and I, I was like, I don't even know what that word means. So going back a little bit, about a week, I was. it's funny, whenever things bother me, I drive through graveyards. For some reason, it's kind of a, kind of a I don't know, like a piece peace of mind like it just helps me think when I drive through graveyards I have no idea why but my phone did this weird thing where it something went on the screen it made a sound I'd never heard before or since and when I saw the thanatology on Sheridan's website and it's the study of death and dying I thought of my phone and I thought I have to do this and I don't know I have no idea why like usually actually me and death were not compatible at all so I don't know why I started looking into it. I thought I have to do this. And I signed up for the first, um, cause there were, I think, uh, there was a, quite a few courses for the certificate. I signed up for the first one and I loved it. I signed up for all the rest after it. And honestly, it's been like crazy ever since I just inhale anything that has to do with grief and bereavement and death and dying. I find it so fascinating. So it kind of started that way, which is very, very strange. <laughs> So going on, um, yeah, it just, it snowballed from there. I just, I started uh, volunteering at uh, the Carpenter Hospice in Burlington because I thought, you know, if I'm going to find out if I want to work with dying people in grief and bereavement, that's probably the place to do to start and see if I like it. And I met with a wonderful woman, Jackie Storer, who um, she runs the grief and bereavement 
department, I guess you call it, a carpenter. And she met with me. And she kind of had a similar story where she started her career at 40 or shortly after when her kids got older. And um, it just kind of took off from there. It just kind of, you can't really work in hospice unless you love it. And when I started at Carpenter, I just, um, I was doing um, daycare out of my home at the time. And a friend of mine who was doing daycare, she said she was taking this PSW course. So I started taking that. And then I just, yeah, I kept taking more and more grief and bereavement courses. And then the death doula course came up, certificate. So I took that. And I just been to symposiums in New York and San Francisco. And it's been, it's been just a bunch of years of just inhaling anything to do with grief and bereavement. It's fascinating. So it's kind of funny how it all just happens that way. And, you know, you never would have thought you'd get into it, but that's the way it works sometimes. Yeah, I'm curious if you did you have loss prior to that? Like, how did you, the, like you think? I would think that we are into we like we don't fully understand that we're going to like it, but we've have dealt with yeah. aspects of it before, right? So I was thinking that you know maybe you've had some loss prior that really prepared you for that road. And not even it's funny because it's my loss actually didn't prepare me at all for this, and it's my my parents were the kind. Um, that always keep that think they're doing their children it's good that they keep them away from anything having to do with death or dying or funeral related never went to a funeral never knew anybody who was dying like just never had any experience of that so my very first person that I lost was my favorite person in the world my grandmother my mom's mom and when she died um, when I went to her funeral I was probably I think I was 19 or 20 at the time and I was a mess. I was hysterical because I had never been to a funeral before. I had never, you know, there's my favorite person laying in the casket. And I'm just like, I, I remember it, it took me so by surprise that, and I just, it was awful because I didn't get to honor her like I would have liked to because I didn't have any experience with death or dying. So um, when I, I still remember that funeral, it was just awful. And I remember thinking that, there's no way that anybody should have to do this. I think death education is so important for all of us. And I think it needs to start even when kids are in, you know, grade school and young, you need to, you know, don't just tell them the dog just went away. I think they need to know that, you know, the dog is dying or and have funeral for it. And, you know, it's good to sit with it and know that um, it's part of life, just like, you know, that's why they call it a death doula. Like a death doula is just the same as a birth doula, just on the other end. And I think it's very, very important. So that's, that was my biggest loss for sure. And I think that kind of, um, I don't know, it just makes me want to teach others so that they don't ever have to go through that. So I'm curious, why did you love your grandmother so much? <laughs> she was the best. She was, uh, very resilient lady she you know she was a tough nut like her her husband left her um with you know her three daughters my mom being the middle one and she was just tough as nails like there was nothing she was this tiny little thing too she was only about five foot two i think and she she and i used to sit at her kitchen she lived in windsor and she and i used to sit at her kitchen table and talk and she was just I don't know she was just such a lovely lovely lady like she was just a heart of gold and would do anything for anyone and yeah so she was just one of my favorite people ever 
and it was tough when she died. She had a brain tumor when she passed away, and I didn't get to see her too much being in Windsor. So I think it was just it was it was a very hard thing when she did die. That and I still miss her to this day. She's just you know she was just a fantastic lady. I'd love to talk to her now as an adult. <laughs> She'd probably give me a, a lot of flack for stuff that I've done, but she was a great lady. That sounds special. What were some things that you like to do with her or together? Probably mostly it was just, you know, her house was my grandfather had built it, him and his brother, like way back in the day. And it was just something about her house. You just loved being there. It was a small, tiny little house. And whenever we would visit her, like we were kind of like sleeping on top of each other. And but she had a huge yard and she had raspberries at the back that we would go and eat off the bush. And she always had a um, she always had a can of icing in the fridge for me that she, she kept at the back and would just hand me a spoon and say, you know, go to it and don't tell your mother kind of thing. She was just, I don't know, we used to play cribbage and she had this cheesy organ that we used to play with and she was just a fun lady. Like we never really went anywhere. It was just all in her house. It was just a fun, fun place to be. Yeah, absolutely. It made me think about my grand grandma and grandparents and how it was the same. You know, they lived in an apartment, nothing special, but visiting them was different. It was uh it's like people like your parents that you can trust and you know feel secure around mm -hmm. that take care of you, but they did but they always have their nuances and things that, you know, mm -hmm. are different. You know, their snacks are different and their their place is different. Yeah. I remember my grandparents they didn't have much um many channels they didn't have cable <laughs> so yeah, right you know we would bring uh we would rent vhs cassettes and uh me and my brother and maybe take them over there and watch them with them or uh you know watch mm -hmm. whatever shows my grandmother i knew one thing she loved soap operas she loved uh <laughs> days of her lives and stuff like that so mm -hmm. that was always interesting but um yeah it's 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 different but there's there's a a homeliness there there's a there's a welcoming uh aspect there and, and those are the little things you cherish it's not like i don't remember anything extravagant or special but i do remember that like you know the quiet moments we'd go for walks in the neighborhood and just little mm -hmm. things like that so yeah I, I know what you're talking about yeah it was just it was just fun you know like i remember actually the first time i ever watched the simpsons was at her house and she had one of those remotes for her TV that had the cord and the giant dial that you would oh, <laughs> to change the channel. And she, that was when the Simpsons were on the Tracy Ullman show. They weren't even their own thing. And yeah, she was just fun. She used to call a couch a Chesterfield and like, she just, I don't know. She was just the coolest lady. She was just fun. She was always the sweetest thing. You know, she'd get angry at you, but you knew when she did it, she did it because she loved you. And, you know, you listened when she, because it wasn't often she'd get angry, but when she did, you knew she meant it. And it was a, you know, it was good for you. It wasn't, you know, her just giving you slack or something, but yeah, she was a wonderful lady. Did she ever bring out the wooden spoon? My, that's what my grandma did when she was mad. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's funny to say that my mother actually did. She had a fly swatter. She had read in a magazine that use a fly swatter when the kids are out of control in the car. It's, just, it's a long, boring drive to Windsor. So she had gotten this fly swatter and she was reaching back to swat us to shut us up. And the plastic cart flew off and she was hitting us with the metal handle. 
and she didn't know and we still we still tease her to this day how much it hurts and everything and she's like i didn't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah people uh, i'm yeah i'm 35 so you know (laughs) my parents definitely (laughs) didn't get that memo but uh most of like 90 percent was threats but even when i got uh you know hit a little bit it usually wasn't hard Mm. it was just a little smack hey two boys i get it (laughs) i understand why you need to hit people (laughs) yeah two boys for sure (laughs) and so was she the only one that has died or were there other people in your life um no there were I had a really good friend pass away when he was 35. He was, he had a brain tumor as well. Um, and it, I, it was weird because his sister died 10 years prior from a brain tumor, but they were completely different tumors. They weren't hereditary. They weren't like, it was just very strange. So he was, he was one of my favorite people ever. And that was a, that was a tough one too, because he ended up in the Carpenter hospice actually even before I was into any of this and he, his, his wishes were he didn't want anyone to see him, you know, like that. And so I wasn't able to see him towards the end. And then he never had a funeral. He never had, um, he was never buried anywhere. His wife still has his ashes. So there's, you know, no place to go to visit him. There was no place to honor him. And, and I kind of wonder now, I mean, going into, of course, I got to bring it up what's going on today, how people don't have that, you know, there was, there's a lot of direct cremations that happen at the funeral home where people just, you know, have their loved ones cremated and say, oh, we'll do a celebration of life later. But now that people are dying so fast, and people aren't getting that chance to say goodbye, it's, it's detrimental, like you don't realize how much you need it until you can't have it. And we need to honor our loved ones in some way that, um, you know, when, when he when he died, like I had a little ceremony for him and released one of those Chinese lanterns because I needed to do something for him, just for me, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but I kind of wonder how things are going to go, you know, with all this death now and nobody's getting the chance to say goodbye like they, they would like to. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting. I've I've had a I've had a few losses, but my grandmother and Mark were probably the biggest ones for me, for sure. That's a great point. And uh, you know, again, just talking about the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, you know, when when people die, you know, they're not allowed to have so many people at the uh, when they die, right? And and in, mm-hmm. in most cases, they're not burying them. Is that true? Or yeah, there's not a whole lot of land left, so. There you can bury, but um, it has to be done quickly. They're saying now that you need to bury or cremate right away now because of we don't know what's coming. You know, we've seen in Italy and Spain and now New York how yeah. fast, you know, this can happen. So, it, yeah, they're telling the crematoriums that they need to run 24 hours a day now. And, yeah, if you're going to do anything, you need to do it right away. You can't wait for, you know, this to be over to bury your mother or something or you know it's yeah. it's awful to have to make those decisions so quickly and that's where advanced care and planning ahead i mean it's it's hard to wrap your head around when you're healthy and you're fine to you know do that but you never know like i mean it's good to have these those things in place so your family and your loved ones know what you want there's no questions and they you know i've seen in the funeral home so many times when someone dies and they have everything planned out it's 
actually a very, very comfortable thing for the family. You know, they can they can grieve on their own um, without having to wonder, is this what my dad would have wanted or is this what my mother would have wanted to wear? You know, they, they there's no questions, which is a good thing. Yeah, just talking about that, that's a, that's a it's a human ritual. It's part of our history. And obviously, there's a segment of the population that that's doesn't want those that doesn't want the funeral isn't comfortable with without having the ritual. But you know, a lot of us do. And if you know, you think about it, it, it's like that life event that maybe we don't dwell too much on, but it's in the it's in part of our brains and our psyche. Like, you know, when I die, I hope that I do have a a funeral. I hope people are able to attend it and are able to, you know, give their last peace, give their last regards. And I hope that is that that is that closure that people can get, you know, when when I die. And I think a lot of people have that mentality. And a lot of people want that for their family members say, well, if you know, when grandma dies, or when my parents die, or whatever, I hope I get to experience that ritual and there's a lot that's done during that ritual it, it sometimes it can't even be conceptualized or you can't even write down exactly what happens but something happens and when you take that away especially take that option away man that's sad it can leave a lot of people mm-hmm. without that kind of thing that they need and you know some you know and sure. again it, it, it's different for everybody you know there's obviously a lot of emotion maybe there might be negative emotions so people uh, don't feel that way but but you know, there can be obviously positive and a lot of other stuff. And, and, you know, that that's unfortunate. And I think that's great that you I'm glad you brought that up, because that's something that I think a lot of people um, are, are confused and uh, sad about. Sure. And I, I don't know if a lot of people even realize that they need it. You know, they don't realize they need that ritual at, at the end of someone's life. Right. Because even my grandmother, I have one still living grandmother and she's 97 and she, she's her, she keeps telling us, she's like, you know, when I die, she goes, that's it. I'm going to go be cremated. She goes, there's not going to be any service. She goes, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want anybody to, to bother. And I said, wait a second. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I kind of love you and I'd like to bother with, you know, who you were and how fantastic you were. And I mean, she made coats out of like furniture upholstery fabric like she was a cool lady so I'd like to honor that but she you know I think even people just don't want to uh, burden their families and they feel like that they don't want their families to be sad it's okay that I'm gone like don't be sad and you know like uh, let me be sad I think being sad and grieving your loved one is a product of how much you love them so you know it's and the harder you grieve is just, you know, how much you, how much you love them. And I think that should be, that should be honored for sure. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much they actually do need that at the end of someone's life for sure. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought I needed that with my father after mm. he died. But I think one of the things I did need to do was to do the eulogy which was, I think, more meaningful to me. And then also to see them, to see the people that came, because I got to hear a lot of different stories I never heard before. Yeah. I got to see a different perspective yeah. of my father than I knew. And so like those parts were really helpful for me, um, even though yeah. I was still a lost cause until I had my first dream of being able to say goodbye to him. But um, mm. looking back, those I remember those two moments as very helpful to me in some way to be able to yeah. actually I love have, that. have that 
I work so many visitations where I see family members, you know, at the end of the night come out and say, like, this person drove all the way from here. Like, I can't believe or, you know, I met somebody who used to work with my mother here, like, I, you know, hearing stories. And, and it's, it's amazing when you hear laughter coming from these visitation rooms. Like, I love hearing you know, the laughter and the talking and, you know, there's sadness, of course, but it's so good. I think that, you know, people don't realize the impact their loved ones had on others until you actually, you know, open it up and let, and let people come and talk. And yeah, it's so good that you did your, the eulogy for your, for your dad. Not many people could have done that. That's pretty amazing. You did that, Josh. Thanks. Yeah, I uh, I cried for a good ten minutes, before, you know, like up there. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it was okay. interesting. It was an interesting process to be able to do it because you're right. I think a lot of people it's hard just because there's so much emotion and they just can't talk. And I was just I'm glad I was able to do it. Um, How was it yeah. for you even writing it? Um, I'm trying to remember what I did. I believe I, the things I did write were just some Rodney Dangerfield jokes that I was going to recycle at the <laughs> funeral. Cause my dad used to always said, you know, like to like in his car, he played like a tape of him. I love Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. So you always say I get nervous back to all right? Like, <laughs> so I said some, some of those jokes to uh, liven the mood, even like, you know, he put the fun in funeral and stuff. It's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like thing, things mm-hmm. he would say to honor my sure. dad. And I, you know, like, but that was like the fun part of him, but I also honored a lot of the, our childhood. And I don't think I wrote that stuff down. That stuff just came like just mm-hmm. where I was feeling, what I was feeling, but the other stuff I mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Good for you. That's amazing. I even did that tie thing. I remember I put my, you know, like a Rodney used to do, but he's like, all right, <laughs> you'd move it. Yeah. you really loose. Yeah, yeah, I did that too. It was, uh, it was good. <laughs> you, you missed a moment. <laughs> oh, that's good. I wish I could have seen it. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that reminds me. You know, it's so true. Like before my grandmother passed away, before she died, I didn't think that I, I didn't think positively about the process and sitting with someone who's dying and the funeral stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I knew the funeral. I've been to funerals before, and I knew that was important, but. Mm-hmm especially sitting with someone while they were dying, I definitely didn't think that that was something. I was unsure whether I would be able to do something like that or I I could, I guess, find value in that necessarily. But uh, Mm -hmm. when when she, she, she was, when she was dying in the, in uh, the hospital, you know, there was a chance and for all of us to go and and spend time with her. She was, uh, he was not conscious. She was uh, put under because of the sure. head trauma that she had gone through. But um, as I was going through it, I realized the value of it. And I realized that I was okay. I was fine. It was it was great. And I, I saw a different side to me, a side that wanted to sit with her, a side that wanted to hold her hand, that wanted to talk to her. And I was yearning mm-hmm. for that. So now, now I have a different perspective where I understand that like, oh, you know, I'm really glad I got that opportunity. I'm glad I got to do that. And I also, I also spoke at her funeral, and that was important too. I, I felt compelled to, and I really wanted to, along with my brother. And yeah, I just quickly wrote down my thoughts and feelings on a. I remember it was on the back of a letter, you know, just an envelope, mm. and I just kind of scribbled some stuff. But 
you know, it was really important and, and valuable for me to go there and just say, you know, I love you. Uh, this is what I appreciated about you. This is, you know, this is uh, yeah. how much we miss you. And we're happy to obviously see you transition and, and whatnot. But yeah, and, and that's what makes me think that now is that, hmm, you know, people who don't get to have those opportunities, you know, especially in a time like this, if someone's, you know, parent or loved one is in the, in the hospital, in a hospital or in a hospice right now, who's uh, dying from coronavirus, you know, that's, that's right there. That's in their minds. And it's like, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Can you like, I mean, and I think about that when I hear all these people dying alone, it just, I mean, that goes against everything that we are in hospice. It, it's, you know, unless, the person, I mean, we've had a few residents that really are very adamant, I do not want anybody there when I die. And that's their choice. That's who they are. But for the, I mean, so many times, you know, they, you know, people just don't, they, people need people. I don't think people realize that as much as maybe they do now. You need to, you know, you need to be with your person and to, to know that your person is dying alone and you have no idea what's happening and you just want to be there and you can't. I mean, I kind of wonder how this is going to go um from here on and it's going to it's going to be it's going to be interesting to i think we're all going to need each other to you know tell our stories and know that you know you're not alone and your person i mean i I know funeral services and they do their very best to take care of whoever it is that that come into our care and it's it's hard it's going to be very hard for society i think to lose someone and i mean it's not just not just through COVID-19. I mean, anybody who's having any sort of loss right now, anybody, any loved one that's dying right now is going to have kind of almost the same, you know, the same problems where, you know, they're, they're in hospital and you can't visit them. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a long road, I think, for, for a lot of us to, to get through, but it's, we're certainly not alone. And it's a worldwide thing. It shows that we're all human, no matter where you are, and we're all going through the same thing. Yeah. And, and I wonder if it changes the way, if this continues and maybe it might change the way we do certain things, maybe it changes uh, the conversations so. we have. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. maybe we, we get together with our loved ones and do similar things that might happen at a funeral You know, tell someone how important they've been in their life, you know, talk sure. about, you know, certain things. Uh, I know there's, we had someone who talked about um, what, a living funeral. Yeah, yeah. And, celebration and of life. Celebration yeah. of life and having a ceremony mm-hmm. beforehand while the person's living. And maybe that's an mm-hmm. in, maybe that's an idea that people kind of start to think about and say, Well, you know, um I didn't get you know, I haven't had a chance to really tell my grandparents or I haven't had a chance to tell my parents even how I really feel about them and stuff like that. Maybe this is something that people will lean towards. Who knows? Sure. Yeah, I think we've been such a death phobic society that, and I mean, there's been people like Joshua and, you know, Caitlin Doty, who's the order of the good death. And um, there's so many out there that are trying to get the word out that, um, you know, talk about death, talk about it before. And I think this is almost forcing everyone to talk about it because, right now you can't not face your own mortality and you realize how vulnerable you are, you know, and any, every day virus or not, you're, 
you're always vulnerable. I mean, a hundred percent of us will die. You know, there's a little disclaimer for you, but you know, we're all going to die. And like, now it's, we have to talk about it right now because it's, it's happening. It's in our faces and it's happening fast. And, you know, I think this might be a good thing for everyone to start um, thinking about it and talking about it and making it, it's a part of life and it needs to be, it needs to be spoken that way. You know, we all, can grieve together. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what together means moving forward with this. If it's just yeah. like, do you do you Zoom a funeral, like you know, like or Skype a funeral? Like, what's that going to look like, and will it still have the effect? And I think there's going to be a lot of research going forward on that aspect sure. of grief because it's just like it, things have changed, and for yeah. what we know, it may change for forever. You know, like who knows. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is going to have a lasting impact on our rituals moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what they're, they're doing now. I mean, there's, they're, um, they're live streaming funerals now because yeah, a lot of people can't be there. I mean, I did, I worked a, a funeral a couple of weeks ago, two weeks, three weeks ago, where some of the family was still in the Philippines. And so they live streamed it. Some, some of the family were, was in the parking lot. Some was in the building because everybody had to be, you know, you can only have so many in the building and some were in the Philippines. So people watched from the parking lot in the Philippines and inside the funeral home. And, you know, it's yeah, you can't be there, but you can still be there in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it's something because yeah. it's, you know, you, you need to, I think you still need to feel a part of it and feel a part of it all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting too in other cultures where they need like a certain type of burial to feel like the person has crossed over or, you know, like that whole thing. And they just sure. may not be able to get that. And so it's going to be interesting too how beliefs of in cultures may change too and shift from all this. But yeah, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. very interesting time. But I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about funerals and the impact it's having on just the culture of grieving. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, it's, it's huge. And I think, like I said, I don't think people realize how much they need that at the end of someone's life. And right now with all this happening, they're realizing how much they need it when they can't have it. Isn't that the truth about a lot of things in life? It's like when it's taken away, that's when you realize what it meant to you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize how much, yeah, how much you loved it and how much you needed it until it's gone. So it'll be it'll be interesting going forward. And I mean, there's a lot of like I said, it's there's a lot of um, people out there that are doing so much good. There's, you know, Katrina Spade, who has, um, you know, the recompose where it's human composting, basically. And it's the natural way of of um, putting having someone go back to nature. And it's incredible this facility that she that she's building in washington right now and i'm really hoping that can be worldwide and maybe that's something people will look into when you know they realize right now there's no there's not much land left for burial space so people are resorting to cremation and this will be a a wonderful alternative and it will help the planet as well yeah and this is also you know uh, uh, the silver lining is that uh it shows the human ingenuity. It shows that what we can accomplish when we get together, mm-hmm. when we do think about things in that in that light, like, you know, all of us have the potential to reframe our lives. And, and a big part of that, I think, is ownership, ownership of our lives and those around us taking back control. Like there's not mm-hmm. a lot of control in a global pandemic. 
we struggle to, to control a virus that's kind of, uh, you know, mutated on its own through nature and stuff like that. But, uh, and when you have that lack, it's like, okay, how do we get back to, to reinventing, reinvigorating ourselves and taking back that ownership? And this is one of those mm-hmm. things, which is like having, you know, Skype uh, funerals or um, rethinking the way we, we um, actually bury or, or, you know, cremate, rethinking our, our thoughts about that. And I think that's a beautiful aspect of us as humans is that, you know, it, it's uh, just understanding that and, and just understanding how we can um, positively impact and take control of our lives. Yes, definitely. And I strongly believe in, and I have for a long time, about taking ownership of your person. You know, when someone passes away that that you love, like, be involved. Like, you're more than welcome to, you know, wash their their body and dress them when, when they've died and get, you know, prepare them and, you know, show them that last act of love that you can do while you have them there. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, cultures that that believe in bathing the body and anointing them with oils and you know having prayers and that kind of thing. And I think a lot of us have gotten away from that, and that's a, where the death phobic society comes in. Where I think we need to be a lot more hands on and not be so much afraid of you know the the dead body. It's, there's there's nothing that can hurt you from you know your loved one when after they've died. There you can show them love still once they're you know, once their heart stops, you can still show them lots of love once when they're still there. Yeah, unless they have that 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 virus, right? And then you would have to wear except full, for the virus, full, yes, full PPE when you bathe them. Like, I wonder if people <laughs> would still want to do that, right? So, or dress them. So, there's a lot of interesting things that this is all just bringing up that we didn't really have to deal with too much. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, I'm fascinated to see how this all works out, and I, and, you know, people are resilient and they'll find a way to honor them in different unique ways. So, you know, I'm not as much as it's, I'm, you know, I, I do understand the suffering and the distress it can cause people. I know people will find a way to honor them and talk about them through unique, yeah. different methods, right? And one could be, you see, like Skype or Zoom or art or even maybe starting their own podcast. Someone's like to grieve in this type of um, environment. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's really wild what we're going through. I'm really curious to go back to your grandmother and your friend, Mark, if his name was. How do you think mm-hmm. they would have handled being in this situation in the pandemic? Because I was thinking about this the other day with my dad. And he would have loved it. Like, <laughs> he would have absolutely loved Because he's the type of guy that if there was like a pressure, pressure situation on, he stood up mm-hmm. like he, he was a leader he would take on but when there wasn't that he would get really depressed he almost didn't have like anything to do because i remember like in the mm. y2k he went full-blown prepared like for the uh the apocalypse he brought he bought so much stuff and like stored in the basement he was ready and when it didn't happen you could tell there was a deflated feeling that he couldn't support the family and support the people i know there's a lot of people he would have supported too and so now i know he would have bought a lot for others and helped a lot of people like neighbors and stuff that were having difficulties through whatever based mm-hmm. on his own method. So I was wondering how your grandmother and friend may would have handled this situation. Yeah, my grandmother was, she could live off almost nothing. That woman, she would probably be like, bring it on. You know, like I can take it. She, she'd been through so much in her life that she probably would have, would have been like, yep, that's fine. Bring it on. Just another thing. <laughs> and she, she would have done her best to help everyone else too. She was always doing meals on wheels and, 
and anything she could possibly do for any of her neighbors that she knew needed help. And Mark was, he had his brain tumor for about five years and, you know, they, they did not give him a good prognosis. And even while he was going through his chemo and everything, he lasted, I think, um, about five years longer than they thought he would because it was such an aggressive tumor that he had. But he, he was, he was just, he was the coolest guy. He had such a good sense of humor and just, uh, just a love for life. And I, he always looked at the good and he always helped everybody that, um, he was at Princess Margaret hospital and he was, he, he started his own newsletter for like all the, all the people that were having, that had a brain tumor that, you know, were going through the hospital and going through treatments and radiation and chemo and all that. So he started his own newsletter for and it went through the hospital like the hospital put it out like he was just the coolest guy he was always doing stuff to help everyone else and he he totally would have been the one to do everything for anyone else and be the you know the the funny guy to relieve any stress but he was he was an extremely intelligent guy too he could do he could do things like i don't know he was very outside the box type of guy I think both of them would have survived, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like say like they're they're two amazing people that would have lightened people's loads and helped people cope mm-hmm. a little bit better. I like that newsletter idea. And so he might mm-hmm. he may have even like put out a newsletter for his community on things that are going yeah. on and and what to do yep. and ways to cope. I think that's amazing. Have you ever had yeah, a dream? He- have you ever had a dream of either one of those people? I had a dream with both of them in it, actually. Oh, come on. Time. Yeah. 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 They, it was, it was funny because I was walking up to, it was, it was very kind of twilightish where you walked into like a meadow <laughs> type of thing, but it was surrounded by trees and there was a clearing and there was like a, almost like a, you know, a campground where you pull up your, you know, where you put the tent up, but there was a picnic table in this like clearing and there were just trees everywhere. And I remember walking up to this, picnic table like as if I, I knew I was meeting them there and my grandmother comes out from the trees on one side and Mark comes out on the other side and they both came and they sat down at one side of the picnic table like next to each other and I remember thinking uh-oh am I in trouble <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking like why why are they both here and I, I I remember talking to them I don't remember what was said but I remember both of them just it was just such a, a good feeling. It was like, I don't know, as if they, the two of them are kind of teaming up together to, I don't know, watch over me or something like that. But I remember it was such a, a great feeling about the two of them, which was, which was kind of fun to see the two of them come out and just sit next to you. Because he was, like I said, she was 5'2", and I think Mark was about 6'3". So they were <laughs> two completely different people, but... Yeah, they just the way they came together, like it was almost as if they, you know, had talked about it before and decided to meet up and tell me what's what. But yeah, it was. I remember it's a good. I remember it's a good dream. I woke up feeling really good about it, but I don't remember at all what was said. Unfortunately, I really wish I did. And that's why we need to write some of the stuff down, right? So we can yeah. uh, remember it, right? So that's no cool. I'm glad. Kidding. I'm glad you had that dream. Was it the first time you had that dream? Like with any deceased individual? I think so. I've had dreams of my grandmother since. I've never actually talked to her. It's funny because I've never actually had a conversation with her. But I remember I've been places where 
I'd see her in like a crowd, like where you'd be in a place where there's a lot of people, like a party or gathering of some sort. And I'd see her in the crowd and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'd think to myself, well, there's grandma or whatever. And I never actually talked to her, but she's always there, which is mm. kind of cool. But my mom had a, an interesting dream about my grandmother and her sister, my mom's younger or older sister. She's only about a year older than her who passed away of lung cancer years ago. And she said she remembered sitting on a park bench and she looked over at another park bench, like further down and her mom and her sister were sitting there. And she said, she remembered when she was telling me this dream, she sounded kind of like distressed about it. She's like, as if they were sitting there, like as if they're coming, coming for me, like as if I'm going to die soon and they're going to come for me sort of thing. And I, so it was funny. I think it was actually shortly after I met you at Hospice Wellington and you were telling, you were talking about how to in, interpret dreams and whatnot. And I said, well, where were you? She's like, well, we were in this, this park or whatever. And I said, well, what did it look like? She's like, oh, it was really pretty. And it had this bridge and that sort of thing. And she was describing it. And I said, did you talk to grandma or Auntie Marilyn? She's like, well, no, but they looked over at me and they smiled and stuff like that. I said, I said, so, I said, but how did you feel? She goes, oh, it felt good when they smiled at me. I said, so why do you think they're here to come get you? <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's a, she interpreted initially about that they were coming to get her, like she was going to die soon and they were coming to get her to help her cross over or something. But I said, like, the more she talked about it, the dream, when I asked her to describe it, the more she felt better about it, I guess. It, I guess initially she, it was just jarring to her and she felt better about it after. So kind of funny. Yeah, that's why we need to ask these questions. And you realize how even positive, comforting dreams for most can be very mm -hmm. depressing based on people's interpretations of it. And so it's nice. I'm so happy to hear that you talk to her and you realize maybe, you know, like rather than re reframing it and saying maybe they're just saying hi, that they're there, you know, like yeah. Yeah. and oh right like but people always go to the things they fear the most and you tell just yeah. with that statement there is a fear of her death and not sure. wanting to leave and I, think I, I, yeah, I think i told you about my uncle bud when he had he kept having recurring dreams of his wife that had passed away and he he said he it was he hated these dreams they were so disturbing and it was the same dream over and over again and and he was like you know as he would tell me this like he was so upset and i said well you know, what does she say to you in these dreams? And he's like, well, she's, you know, comes to say hi and whatever. And, and it was always a very, like, it sounded like a nice dream. I said, well, have you ever tried to talk back with her? Like, and say, you know, ask her how she is or just talk to her or something like that. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I just, you know, it was just so upsetting to him that she kept coming to him. But when he described the dream, it was a nice dream. She just kind of the same thing where she just came to say hi to him. But he just he hated them so much because I don't know it just I think he was just so still so very upset about her death that he always looked at those dreams as if they were a bad thing that's so interesting because someone else with that mm -hmm. same dream like if I had that dream it'd be the most uplifting thing ever mm -hmm. but to him it was it was awful to see her yeah. over and over again like as if she was there to I don't know make him more upset that she was gone and he couldn't have her and yeah he looked at it as if it were a bad thing but when he described the dream they were actually nice sounding like she just came to see him and talk to him and so yeah, I, I you know i asked him to try and talk back to her and say you know see what he can get from that but 
Well, and these dreams are good at bringing up issues that we may be avoiding in life. And so rather than having a negative dream, which some people may have, right, and can be very mm-hmm. distressful, this is like a very positive dream. But like, it's like, why is it occurring? Because it's occurring for a reason, especially if it's repetitive. So mm-hmm. Uncle, what was his name? Uncle Bud? <laughs> yeah, his yeah, name yeah. was Barkley, but I <laughs> <called him> Bud. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things that you wonder where he was in his grieving process and if he was avoiding his loss. Because like these yeah. dreams help facilitate continuing bonds, helps facilitate um, allowing us to get to places that maybe we're avoiding, especially um, if you're avoiding that kind of dream, right? If that's negative, I can only imagine he's avoiding positive memories of her too, because it brings up distress. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Yeah. Like if you look at the dream, I don't care if you're spiritual or not, it's like it's just a positive moment with a person. And so if you're avoiding mm-hmm. that, that in waking life, you're probably also avoiding that. And we've known like with continuing bonds, they are, they seem to be helpful for people in their grieving process. Sure. Yeah. But unfortunately, uncle, my uncle Bud had had so much loss in his life and they were big losses. So she was, she was kind of the last and I'm sure that it just, it was a whole bunch of losses together. He just couldn't accept yet another one. So for him, they were just, they were distressing. They weren't comforting. And there's probably not one dream that would have made him feel, you know, good, which is, which is a sad thing because I think that's one of the reasons why we have these dreams is to feel comforted in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah. Too bad he never had that. Mm. Is he still alive too or no? Actually, he just passed away maybe about a month ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, uh, he himself, he had, uh, he was quite ill for a while and, um yeah it was a long road for him and yeah he finally passed away about a month ago but I was it was nice he was in a in a hospice and he was in a very good place and very comfortable and you know my um my stepdad got to see him and before he passed away and so it was it was a I think it was a good place for him to be for sure where he was nice so if you could have a dream tonight of someone who's died could be all three of them around the picnic table this time, a longer picnic table. <laughs> um, what kind of dream would you want to have? I would actually, I would love a repeat of the one with my grandma and my and my friend Mark, but I'd love to remember what they said because the two of them, they were they were always very insightful people. So I would love, especially the two of them together probably would have blew my mind with the stuff that they had to say, but I would love to hear to have that dream again especially like I love trees so just the setting of it was was amazing and I remember it was just a gorgeous day and yeah I would love to hear what they had to say because I mean he had such a good sense of humor and she was she was so wise and she would get she had a very dry sense of humor you didn't realize you got hit with you know some sarcasm until (laughs) a little bit later because she was so smart smart witted so yeah I would love to see the two of them together again that would be fun especially with the size difference. They were just comedy in itself, just looking at the two of them together. Like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Remember that movie, Twins? Exactly. Exactly. It would have been so funny to see them together. That's cool. I think you're the first to actually want to repeat a dream because you forgot the details. Ah. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. I really, and it yeah, shows yeah, the importance of writing it down. Oh, for sure. Because I do. I remember. I can picture. 
Yeah, I can picture the scene in my head. I remember the trees and the picnic. I can picture it in my head, but I can't for the life remember what what was said. And I do remember we had a conversation, but I don't remember at all what was said in the conversation. So I would love to have that dream again and mentally record that conversation or write it down because yeah, the two of them were, were very, I love talk. I could talk to the two of them for hours, hours and hours. So I would love to hear what they have to say. Yeah, where, when was that dream? So it'd be kind of interesting to know, like, on your journey, where, where do you remember mm-hmm. when you had that dream? Was it, like, after after the divorce? Was it after the death doula thing? Like, do you remember when it came? Good question. It was, I think it was after, or shortly, actually, it could have been when we were separating, and definitely before, way before the doula thing. So, yeah, I think it was, like, because I was not sleeping. I mean, it was, it was all going through all that is just awful you don't sleep much and stuff so i do remember i'm pretty sure that's when it was it was when we were separating and it was just kind of chaos in my head so and i think i remember it that's why i love that dream because it was around that time the words of wisdom yeah. would probably or conversations would have been something to do with that you'd think right on yeah, probably knowing the two of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they would have told me what to do for sure. <laughs> yeah, because it would have brought you a lot of peace, and that's what you're you're seeking that time and some answers also. Oh, very much so. Yeah, you, I look. I did everything I could to find any sort of answers because I mean, when you're going through that, it's such a hard thing. You just want some sort of direction and where to go and what to do. And so, yeah, they they would have helped with that for sure. And look at you now, eh? <laughs> right? No kidding. And I get to work with you. It's even better. Who knew when we first met years ago? <laughs> I know, right? It's wild. Wild times. <laughs> yeah. And you it have your is. own podcast episode now. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! I know. That's incredible. But, you know, like, it's funny with, you know, grief and breathing and this kind of work, it's actually a very small community. And you kind of get to know, you hear the same the names you know the ones that make a big impact over and over again so you get to know people far and wide and and you remember them because you know they there's not a whole lot of us that love this work so much that we're willing to put ourselves out there and you know talk about it and you're definitely one of them Joshua for sure and a lot of people know your name a lot more than I think you think they do wow yeah that's probably very true it's very true, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know Sean's name too around the around the parts. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's one of the same kind of now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Partner. Some odd episodes later, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful. Like I look back at that too because I never would have done people if they haven't listened to the first podcast. But like I never would have been in this area in the sense of podcast if it wasn't for Sean. Like mm-hmm. that that was his love and his desire, and I've come to learn to love it. And understand the value of it but it's it was his thing and like so together we're we're moving more mountains and really helping people i think talk about the subject raise awareness and we're meeting some such cool people yeah so like it's one of those things that if everything was taken away hopefully the podcast is one of the last things that are taken away because it's so valuable to me in my life i never i never would have thought it going in you know i'm like oh you know sean wants to do it cool yeah we'll have fun but no it's actually such a, a a valuable, meaningful part of my life now. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's Absolutely. worldwide, which is incredible. That's the best part of it, right? You can you can touch people from you know far reaches, and people are going to need this more and more now than ever going forward. So, and it's a lot. Of, it's funny. A lot of these podcasts, like yours, that have been created, like you know, terrible thanks for asking by Nora McInerney, is like hers is because her husband died of a brain tumor, you know, in his mid thirties, and same kind of thing. It's like as if I don't know if it's just how we're forced into this and somehow you love it because you know it touches so many people and it helps it helps way more than I think we know it does yeah yeah absolutely I think the timing was right I think people are ready for that type of new way of looking at grief uh death and and dreams and, and especially dreams I mean that's something you know when Josh, Josh when Joshua ta- started talking about what he was doing his um, schooling in, what he was working towards, I thought, man, that's so incredible because mm-hmm. uh, the dream world was always very vague and a little scary for me. And I, and I mm-hmm. always wanted to, and the research and stuff seemed like things had been stagnant. And I always wanted uh, more clarification, more understanding around the topic. And then that's why, you know, when we started talking about the podcast, it was almost like, seamless it was just like yeah let's do it in this topic yeah. it's perfect because you know i could it's see cool, then i could see then the ramifications and 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 how it would the awareness of it how it would be so important what i didn't know was how much i would get back personally from it like i i didn't understand yeah. that but having these conversations with interesting people like yourself is it brings oh, okay. so much value and importance into my life whereas it makes the little things not so significant and and helps focus me in on the things that are important like death and relationships and family and and having those conversations and it's it's uh, it's been a blessing so i'm really happy and and i i'm the type of personality who goes from project to project to project and it's hard to focus in but and mm-hmm. that's where i know that this is so special because i've been able to focus in on, on it since we started and i i, I it that just grows like that joy. And yeah. again, we we always say this, that, but it's so true. I never have, I always feel better after a podcast and I never get tired of it. So that's when I know that, hey, you're hanging your hat on the right thing and this is the right thing to focus in on. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to work with, uh, you know, Joshua and he's, he's, you know, insightful. He's natural uh, on the mic. He's, he's natural, good at talking to people he's a great listener i mean these are all great qualities to have when you are talking about topics and talking about these um deep topics and again having the guests that we have on like that's a blessing because we get to meet people and also see the variety in the field itself there's so many niches and nuances like you know like even yourself death doula you know psw you know funeral home all these things are they're different but they're also related which is fantastic yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why I have the three jobs. They're all three are in the same-ish category, but they're different too. And they're fascinating. I mean, every day I go to work, it's like, it's a new thing I learn. And it's, you know, even being with the, the, the sisters, the, you know, the nuns, and they, you think they've spent their entire lives, um, you know, serve, serving God. And now that they're in at the end of their lives, you think that they would be so happy to finally, you know, be that much closer to God and meet him when they die. But a lot of them are scared. A lot of them, like, you know, they're human and they kind of go, wait a minute, (laughs) 
well, what happens when I die? And they actually have this little twinge of, I don't know, what's going to happen when I die? And it's, it's fascinating, you know, just to watch how people grieve and they fear death and how people think. And, you know, it's, it's a fascinating, it's fascinating work. It really is. And it's something I think that just evolves and changes constantly, depending on who you're talking to. Cause every, I think everybody's grief is like a fingerprint. It's very unique and, you know, might have similarities, but depending on who you are and who you're grieving and how many losses you've had. And, you know, there's so many variables that make you act the way you do when, when you have a loss. It's fascinating. It really is. Well, I'm glad we had the chance to chat and record it this time. I know we've chatted a couple of times, but it's nice that we got to record it and I got to learn a little bit more about you. I'm curious, one last question before we sign off is you mentioned mm-hmm. that you feel that like life is mapped out for you. Like mm-hmm. something happened and you're now like hitting your stride. Where do you see that going? It's funny because, like I said, I have these three jobs and all are in the kind of same area, but I like I have so many plans in my head and so many different projects I want to work on. And and I'm, I almost feel like I'm waiting for like a sign or like, I don't know if this this virus and, you know, what's going to happen and all and how people are going to grieve. And I mean, all, all the dynamics changed. I feel like it's just things seem to come up for me and, and have a big arrow and say this way, like, you know, it's, I don't know. It just, it just seems like it kind of goes that way where it's like, okay, you need to go this way now and this way now. And, and I, I've gone by my gut instinct and what my heart has told me all like for the last, since honestly, since I've turned 40, I've followed my gut instinct and it's gone. It's been against what a lot of people think I should be doing, but Honestly, it it led me in the right direction every single time, and I am I couldn't be happier where I am, and I, I love that um, I can help so such a diverse array of people. That I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where what's next. Because I like I said, I got a lot of ideas, but <laughs> I'll see which way I end up going. <laughs> That's cool. You're taking it day by day. I like that. I like that you surrender to to life to let, let it lead you because it said like we have a lot of models, a lot of things that we think may work, but it's, it's mm-hmm. something about having the patience and developing the patience to yeah. see your signs or just to see where your heart is going. But a lot of people yeah. don't, and I don't have that, you know, and that, mm-hmm. I think that's something I think that's great that you're developing along the way that they get impatient and they try to rush an idea or they rush a thing and I've had that myself with even like a lot of stuff with the podcast, stuff like that. You try to rush things and you realize it never gets you to where you want to go. And I've learned too, is yeah. like just having patience and surrendering and allowing it to come to you. It feels so much more yeah. joyous when it happens. Yes. And I find even the pain, like I have, I find that I have to go through some, you know, there's painful areas. Like my, my divorce was like a huge painful thing. And I've been through a lot of pain since. And I think that helped along the way. I think that's kind of made me who I am. And, you know, I think that there's the good, but then there's the bad that you have to go through to get to, you know, the bigger picture, I think where you're supposed to be. And I think it, I think it's very important that, you know, that's part of life. You can't be happy all the time. Sometimes the pain teaches you way more than, and shows you who you are more than anything else will. And, you know, I, as much as the painful stuff sucks, 
sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's a good thing when you get through and you look back and you think, you know what? You know, I needed that. Yeah, I hear you. It's <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> through the pain. There there can be growth. There could be opportunity uh, to be reborn, to have some new ideas, to f- to get your head into a different space, to feel like, all right, how do I mm-hmm. fix this now? How do I move forward? And that's often, you know, mm-hmm. you're seeing it, it play out during this uh, corona pandemic is that, you know, we go from comfort to being uncomfortable. And like, can you sit in that uncomfortable and, and can you find yourself through that and see what it is that's causing you this pain and can you just wrap your head around it and understand it and move forward because especially now when you're if you're in self-isolation you're in you know self-quarantine um there's not a lot of answers you know there's not a lot of um there's not there's a lot of vagueness and ambiguity and that's a difficult place to be as humans you know that's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and how, how do you be patient with yourself how to be patient with those around you and how do you foster uh, just a sense of uh, well-being from that? I think this is a, a challenge uh, that we're all faced with right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, sometimes you have to be in that discomfort to change the way you think about things. And it makes you think way outside the box that you normally would never have done because of everything is going great why the heck would you want to change it but it's yeah. when there's the discomfort and when you know things change around you that's when that's when uh, all your you know your survival instincts kick in and where your um your creative thinking is like you know okay i don't have that anymore so now what do i do and and yeah it's, that's where all these the incredible ideas come from and i think it's i think it's a good thing too you know there's the hard but there's also some good that comes out of it yeah, it almost seems counterintuitive. It almost seems like, well, shouldn't I be, you know, when I'm feeling good, when things are comfortable, that's when I can work on myself and improve. But, you know, sometimes it's not the case. And and uh, no. through, through pain and uh, through through suffering and through being uncomfortable, that can that almost sometimes is the catalyst for uh, growth and change and adapting. And uh, hey, that's life, and and, and that's also uh, the beautiful part about it as well. That's right. Absolutely. You know, like in, when you, you know, when you, you hope when you die, you can look back and you say, you know what, I did it the way I wanted to and I have no regrets and, you know, and not everybody can say that, but I'm really hoping that when I'm at my end, I can say that. I can say, you know what, I did it the way I wanted to and I don't regret anything. So we'll see. That's beautiful, and and uh, we'll we'll end it on that. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was it was a really great interview, and you did a fantastic job. Oh, thank you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, Lisa. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share uh, with our audience uh, where people can find you? Uh, I'm actually starting a Facebook group um, for for those who have lost loved ones during this COVID epidemic especially because you know like we talked earlier we don't have the rituals of of funerals and visitations and we can't even hug our loved ones and you know be in the same room with them and as great as skype and zoom and all that is um you still people need people so it's like a support group for those who have had this loss and um want to talk about it so because we're we're not alone in this and there you know there's a lot of people going through this whether they have loved ones that died from from COVID-19 or from even just regular average everyday death it's just 
you know, we all need each other and we're all going through the same thing. So I'm hoping that this will, you know, help each other lean on each other. Just another virtual, virtual way of giving a hug. And what's that called? What's the group called or page called? Loss in Grief During COVID-19. Excellent. So people can just go onto Facebook and search for uh, those words, uh, loss and grief yes. in, during COVID-19. Yes. Perfect. Lisa, thank you so much again. Um, so everybody, you can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. We added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, we like to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation